give honor to our pastor. I, I, I love that message last week that Brother Langle hit back on. I need a pastor now more than ever, and I'm glad, I'm thankful for mine. Give honor to the Lord Jesus. Wouldn't be here without him. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening, and they shall take of the blood. Could you say the blood? And strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses wherein they shall eat it. Skipping down to verse 13. And the blood, could you say the blood? And the blood shall be to you for a token, for a, a sign upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, one more time, can you say the blood? Anybody thankful for the blood of Jesus? And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And I want to preach for the next few moments with the help of the Holy Ghost from this subject, the blood still works. The blood still works. Amen. Would you close your Bibles, lift your hands and hearts, your voices with me, and help me pray, Father, in the name of Jesus. We are grateful that you are here. If you were not here, God, I don't know what we would do. I'm grateful that you're here. I'm grateful that you're moving. And I know, Lord, I got confirmation from you, Lord, that you came to do something here today, to speak into someone's heart, to set someone's life straight. I pray. Minister to every heart and life. God, hide me behind your cross. Minister through me. Let me be your mouthpiece this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Could you clap your hands to the Lord and you can be seated. Thank you for standing. You have probably heard the phrase, there's a snake in the grass. It's an adage we employ oftentimes to bring awareness to concealed Dangers. We use it as a means whereby to warn others of a threat that might be hiding in plain sight. My grandma used to say, if that was a snake, it would have bit you. In scripture, we find that typically the serpent most often represents Satan or sin. And it has become increasingly evident particularly of, of late, that we are living in unparalleled times. Sin has left a destructive mark on the world that we live in, and I do not believe that it is finished yet. But I believe with all of my heart that Jesus is coming back very soon to rescue his bride. It won't be very long, and he is coming back for a church that has made herself ready but it's important to understand that there is an adversary in our day and although undetected by the natural eye he is enabling the effects of what is unseen to manifest and to reverberate through our world we are fighting an enemy that we cannot see 
one that cannot be defeated with conventional weapons. That's the reason 2 Corinthians 10.3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. He said, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And he said, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And there are conflicts that are going on around in our world as we speak this moment. And I don't want to uh, make that lighter, uh, but, but I would like to submit to you this morning that there is a, there's a greater battle going on right now. Camouflage behind the external conflicts of our world is a fight in which the stakes are much greater because the battle is being fought for your soul. It's a war that is not optional. You cannot simply decline to go fight. This enemy does not care whether or not you consider yourself to be confrontational. It doesn't matter to him your pedigree or what your family name is. No one is exempt from this conflict. And though you never asked to be engaged in it, the reality is that every single one of you were born into it. David said in Psalm 51 and verse 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And from the very moment that you were conceived in your mother's womb, you entered into this, this tug-of-war match for your soul. And while one side is trying with everything to pull you higher, there is another side that is attempting to pull you down. One force wants you to be more holy while the other is appealing to your flesh. One side, there is a side that is, he's begging you to live more consecrated. But there's another that wants to contaminate you. God wants you to have eternal life. The Bible says that he is not willing that, that any should perish. He doesn't want to lose one. He wants all to come to repentance and he wants to give you eternal life, but make no mistake about it. There is an enemy that seeks your demise. It's for this cause that 1 Peter 5, 8, it tells us that we've got to be sober. You've got to be vigilant. You've got to be aware in the spirit of what's going on around you because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour the, the old serpent, entices generation after generation to become entangled in the trap of sin. But I'm so glad to report to you this morning that there is a way to escape the trap. Because Romans 5.20 tells me, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Where there is sin right now, where there was sin in your past, and where sin will be lurking in your future, there will always be that much more grace if you will just call upon the name of of the Lord. I wish you would hear me this morning. There is there is a snake in the grass, but I came to report to you that he is no match for the blood of the lamb. 
Isaiah 59, 19, so shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Come on, if you believe that this morning. and I wonder how many blood-bought people we have in the house that would say, I still believe that there is a lion fighting on my behalf. Somebody is standing in your corner, and the devil is no match for him. Years ago, if you had been bitten by a... A rattlesnake. Anybody been bitten by a rattlesnake in here before? Thank God. At least nobody that's still here. You'd be rushed to a hospital and they would inject you with this antivenom that had been made with horse blood. But what they found is that over time they began to understand that many people were allergic to the antivenom that was made with horse blood. And so what would transpire is that the victim would spend more time recovering from the antivenom than he would the snake bite himself, itself. And so uh, logically, scientists, they began to look for a better way to uh, develop this antivenom. And wouldn't you know that in their research, they found that there was, in fact, another animal in the animal kingdom that contained the extra protein needed to fight against the poison of a snake. The irony in their research was the fact that the blood that was sufficient to find a better way to create a better antivenom, it only came from a lamb. You know, we reach for and we try to to find so many things that we can supplement that maybe would just give us a little bit of reviving in our bondage and we, we pour out our resources and our, our time and, and invest so much into these means and ways to be delivered. But so many times, if we're honest, it leaves us worse than when we started. And, and there are some things that, that modern medicine can cure. Anybody thankful for Tylenol? Thank God I needed it after the golf course yesterday. There are some things that modern medicine can cure, but, but there is only one remedy for the condition of sin, and it's the blood of the Lamb. I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus. I'm here today because somebody stood in my place and died when I deserved it. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22, and almost all things are by the law pledged, purged with blood and without shedding of blood. Is no remission. Thank God for the blood. We read in the book of Exodus, we, you follow it and you read this beautiful story of, of God and he's delivering his people out of captivity and they had been slaves in Egypt. They had been living in bondage for hundreds of years and if you study Egyptology, one of their main symbols was a cobra. It's one of the most venomous snakes in all of the world. And you have to understand something this morning kind of at the onset that in Scripture, Egypt represents the world. So in, in type, the Bible says that there are, uh, in the Old Testament, when we look at certain things, the Bible says there are types and shadows that are pointing towards something that's coming in the future. 
And in type, the Israelites had been living in bondage to the world. But now the time had come and, and God was getting ready to deliver his people. I know that sometimes things come against us, Brother Vidal, and, and God will allow the devil to, to step in and to bother us a little while and to deliver us a little test or trial, but it's only a matter of time before God steps in. And now the time had come. God was getting ready to deliver his people, and, and Pharaoh didn't want to let them go because Pharaoh, he enjoyed the free labor, and so so God began to unleash a series of plagues on Egypt. Have you heard this story before? He was trying to persuade Pharaoh to let his people go. And, and I don't know about you, but there's something in the story that just grabs my attention. I, I don't know, but I'm, I'm so glad that God's call always precedes his judgment. The reality is that if the people in Egypt would have just repented, God would have been merciful because we find that mercy is in the nature of God. He doesn't just strike you down in your sin. Some of you are living here and you've been playing games for a long time knowing that he's given you opportunity after opportunity. He's been calling time and time again, altar call and altar call, church service in, church service out. He's been reaching for you because God's call always precedes his judgment. There will not be one person that is able to stand before God on judgment, say, judgment day and say that he never showed me mercy. But we cannot take the opportunities that he's given us for granted. Because sooner or later, judgment shows up. Finally, there was one last plague and it would ultimately arrange, orchestrate the release of God's people because sin, if, if you leave sin unchallenged, there's always a penalty. God said at midnight, I'm going out into the midst of Egypt and all the firstborn in the land are going to die. But God told Moses, he said that the children of Egypt, if Israel would be protected, but it was only under one condition. You see, Israel, in many ways, it represents the church. But simply being associated with the church doesn't cover you. God still requires you to do something. There are hundreds of promises in the word of God, and I'm thankful that we can have them. I'm thankful that they are there for us. But every single promise we see in the word of God, it carries with it a prerequisite. God says, I will, I want to, I desire to, I'd love to, but only if you will. God said, this is what you have to do. Every, every house, everybody has to do it. Not just the preacher, not just you, Moses, not just the priesthood, but everybody, every house has to take a lamb that doesn't have any blemishes, any spots. You've got to kill that lamb. You've got to roast it and eat that lamb. And it was a certain way they had to roast it and eat it. And, and you've got to take the blood of that lamb and you've got to smear it over the top and down the side doorposts of your home. And uh, there's a beautiful part of this story. I, I heard someone preach last year and, and sometimes we kind of gloss over this. But God said, 
if the lamb is too large for your house, share the lamb with your neighbor. Can I tell you this morning that we have a lamb that is too large for our houses alone. We have to get the lamb. Come on, we've been commissioned and challenged. He stood there, told the disciples, you've got to get the lamb into the world. You've got to get your lamb inside of your neighbor's homes. He said, once the blood has been applied to your home, it's important that you stay inside of your home until the morning. It's not enough to have the blood of Jesus applied to your home just to go back out into the world. You've got to stay committed to him. The Bible says that he that endures unto the end shall be saved. The blood was the sign. You understand this morning the blood, it was the only thing that separated Egypt from Israel and that evening when the destroyer came through, there was, there was death in every house that was not covered by the blood. But every house where the blood had been applied, there was life. And I believe there was life abundantly. But there's a much broader and more beautiful application to this story, you see, because the blood of those lambs, it could only roll back sin. Year after year, it would be pushed back. That means that every year after Israel left Egypt, she still had to sacrifice another lamb to atone for the sins of that year. What a compromising place to be, a fearful place, a desperate place. But the Bible says that there was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. God looked out through the portals of eternity and the moment that he created humanity understood that, that we would get ourselves into something that he would have to save us from. Creation didn't happen without God already having a plan. The Bible says that John the Baptist, he was baptizing people in the Jordan River and he looks up. Brother Vidal, and he sees Jesus walking in his direction. John 1, 29, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. The Bible says that the children of Israel, they had left Egypt. They were in the wilderness and on the way to the promised land. That's a good place to be. How many of you are thankful we're headed for the promised land? But they began to murmur and complain. We do that sometimes. They'd been delivered from bondage and now they just wanted to go back. It's a bad place when God brings you out of something that was killing you and you decide just to go back to it. And the Bible says that as a result of this, God sends fiery serpents into the midst of them, venomous serpents among them, and they began to bite the people and the people started to die off and uh, but Moses, the Bible says that he began to intercede for the people. And he asked God, if you remember the story, to take away the snakes. Can I tell you this morning that until Jesus returns, the snakes are not leaving. Sin is not going to simply go away. 
It is going to get worse. We will always have obstacles to overcome. God would not take away the serpents, but he would give them the antidote for their poison. Numbers 21 and verse 8, And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that every one that is bidden, when he looketh upon it, shall live. That's, that's why that John said this in John 3.14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Jesus would live a sinless life so that he could go to Calvary as the perfect sacrifice. And he would die in our place. Thank God that he died in my place. Anybody glad that he died in your place? But you have to understand something this morning. It, it wasn't enough just to kill the lamb. That's repentance. Something always has to die. But once the sacrifice had been offered, the blood still had to be applied. Jesus died, but he still had to be buried in a tomb. And he got up three days later. And the Old Testament, they applied the blood. They put it around the door of their homes. The blood was for remission. The blood was for a covering. And to remit means to pay in, in full. If you go to the doctor and they tell you that you've got a, a terminal illness. And you go and come back later and they see that you're healed. A miracle has happened. What they'll tell you is that that disease is in complete remission. It's completely, completely gone. Jesus' death opened the door for something much greater. The Bible says in John chapter 3 that in order to be saved, we must be born again of the water and of the spirit. There's another type here. There's another shadow. See, in, in the Old Testament, blood, you see it in the New Testament, it's a type of water. Jesus said in Luke 24, 46, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached. How? In his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And that's why the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. The blood has to be shed, and it has to be remitted. And so after Peter, he stands up on the day of Pentecost, and he, he preaches. What did he preach? He preached Christ crucified, and he preached you responsible. And the convicted crowd, they asked the question, well, you've preached this convicting message, but it's bringing us to a point that we've got a decision to make. It, it don't make me any, any good to feel bad and not know what to do about it. So he asked Peter, he said, what do we have to do? In Acts 2.38, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost because the promise is it's unto you, but it's not just to you. It's for your children. 
And it's for all of those that are afar off, even as many as the Lord. Are. Anybody been called by God lately? Anybody been washed in his blood, filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost? Any drug addicts in the house, former drug addicts that could testify that God has been good to you? The way that we apply the blood of Jesus to our lives is being baptized in water in his name for the remission of sins. There's only two ingredients that are necessary for baptism. Enough to immerse you fully in the water. That's what the Greek word baptizo means, to, to fully immerse, to overwhelm, to make wet. And the name of Jesus. If your baptism was missing either one of those, it's invalid. Think about this. God, God's people had been living in bondage for centuries. But God told Moses in Exodus 12, too, right before he instructs them to have the blood applied to their homes, that he said, this month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. They had been living in bondage for many years, but the moment that the blood was applied, everything changed. It was a new beginning, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter if you've been lost your entire life. It doesn't matter how far you have run, how lost you might have become. Once the blood has been applied, everything in your past is under the blood. You get a new life. I came to tell somebody this morning that it's time to put it under the blood because the blood still works. Luke 10, 19, behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Church, it's time to put it under the blood because the blood still works. I'm closing. I'm, I'm hurrying to a close. If musicians could come, if you would stand with me. When, when I was growing up in church, we would sing songs about the blood. It seemed like every week we were singing a, a song about the blood. We'd sing, there is power, power, wonder-working power. In the blood of the lamb. And next week we would sing back, come back, and guess what we'd get to do? We'd sing the song of, about the blood. They'd change it up a little bit this week. They, they'd ask you a question. Are you washed in the blood? In the soul-cleansing blood of the lamb. The old timers weren't talking about literal blood. They knew what they were saying. Have you been washed in the water? We'd sing, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Some of these songs, I know they're, they're outdated. They're old-fashioned, or at least we don't sing them as much as we used to. 
songs had, they had meaning. They were saying something, something powerful was, was being tried to relate and get across. And I asked God this week, it's kind of a busy week for us to be, to be honest. And I said, God, I don't want to just get busy and just deliver something for the sake of delivering it. I, what do you want me to tell your people? said, I need a word from you. He said very clearly to me, he said, I want you to tell them that the blood still works. Can I tell you this morning that the blood still works? I'm opening the altar right now. You can go ahead and come and if you've never been born again, if you've never had your sin covered by the blood of Jesus, I would ask you to come. And maybe you're here this morning and, and life has taken you down some roads that you didn't intend. Repentance was authentic and you were baptized in the name of Jesus, filled with his spirit. But some things have happened that have pulled you away. I came to tell you in your case, the blood still works.